Hi there. Happy Thursday. My name is Spencer Williams, and you are tuned in to The Tempo Report. This week, to start things off, I have CBC broadcaster, writer, and storyteller Grant Lawrence, who also is the former lead singer of Vancouver 90s punk band The Smugglers. I recorded this interview back in January, a couple months before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. We chat about everything from the smugglers to his writing and broadcasting career as well as his time in desolation sound hope you enjoy my name is grant lawrence and i am a music journalist at cbc vancouver and i've worked with cbc music and its various incarnations cbc radio 3 Radio Sonic, all sorts of different things over the many years that I've been here, which is just over 20. How did you how did you make the transition from being in the smugglers to working in broadcasting? The way I made that transition was somewhat fluky. I when I was in the band, I was invited to call in to these radio shows. Uh, one of them was a late night show called Nightlines. And uh, it was once a week, it was Saturday night, and my band, The Smugglers, would be on tour. And during the tour, I would call in on Saturday nights and I would tell a story from the tour of what uh, happened on the road. And the tour stories were pretty outlandish and pretty wild. And I became known basically as a storyteller. And then one year, uh, the smugglers had a lot of time off because one of the guys was becoming a father. And I needed work. The band wasn't touring that much. And so I got a job as a researcher here at the CBC, which is the, the entry-level position uh, that doesn't even exist anymore. And, uh, and I've been here ever since. How does your love of storytelling influence you as a broadcaster? That's a good question. Um, I think at the core, all broadcasting is storytelling. And I think that whatever we do, we're always looking for a good story. So it doesn't matter if um, it's the nightly news, they're looking for a good story. What's the lead story? What is the story that's going to captivate everyone? And they, they say that it's news, but it's really a story. And uh, so say it's the Newfoundland blizzard. Well, they're, that's the main story, but they're looking for stories within that story. So they're looking like, how did people cope? You know, there was somebody's wedding was scheduled for that day. What did they do? There's people snowboarding. What's the story there down the streets of Newfoundland? So I think that broadcasting and storytelling go hand in hand. You know, if you're doing a podcast you want guests that have good stories basically if you do a late night show you know you talk to conan o'brien or david letterman all they wanted was a guest that would come on with a couple of good stories that's it so storytelling is really does go hand in hand and luckily storytelling has always come fairly naturally to me uh, you know, I've always sought out the good stories. I've naturally told stories. 
And basically the only reason that I've told stories is because I've always wanted to entertain people. You know, I've always wanted to make people laugh and and hold people's attention. And so, you know, I've always like, you know, even in high school, I'd be like, wait till you hear what Mr. Hannah did in history class today. Mm. And then that's just whatever I would say would just be a story of, you know, what Mr. Hannah did probably in some sort of elevated dramatic fashion. I know you've spent a lot of time um, in uh, Distillation Sound with your uh, family and as well. Yeah. How did that time um, in the 80s shape you? Well, that's another really good question. Uh, it shaped me in many, many ways. Uh, I spent a lot of time up there listening. And what I was listening to were the adults tell their stories. And, you know, there were a lot of really weird, interesting people that ended up in Desolation Sound uh, and still continue to end up there. And, you know, I, I'm always interested in how someone got from like point A to point B. Like, how does anyone wind up wherever they wind up? And so I would listen, 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 listen. And as my dad, you know, as the night would grow on and the the candles would uh, burn down, I would just lie on the couch and I'd often, you know, fall asleep in our family cabin up in Desolation Sound to the rhythm of these crazy stories of of hippies and draft dodgers and oyster farmers all trying to make a go of it and all basically almost dying but not quite and some of them did die but the ones that didn't uh, I was able to absorb their stories and what their life was like and when I was a little kid you know they were some of those stories were pretty scary and I'd be freaked out about it or freaked out about the situation but then I, I as an adult that's when I realized that a lot of the stories that scared me as a kid scared me for a reason because they were great stories. And I have this phrase, this motto that I kind of live by, is that great stories are always retold. So you can't help but retell, you know, a really great story. If someone's told you one, you want to share it. And that's, uh, that's some of the power of storytelling. What elements make, make a great story? Well, the most basic thing is sort of beginning, middle, end. So it's kind of like a story is also built like a joke. So there has to be like an opening, uh, a setup, and then an end. Like a joke has to have an end, and the end of a joke is a punchline. And so stories are sort of built basically the same way. So I believe that, that most stories have to have action, have to have drama, and, you know, I personally lean on humor. So I, you know, like one of my, probably my most popular story is a story about the time my family showed up to a potluck in Desolation Sound and we're a pretty conservative West Vancouver family. Oh, you're smiling already. Uh, and everybody was nude. Everyone was naked. All the hippies were naked. And so that is a, what you call that is a classic fish out of water story. So I'm placed, 
And I didn't know this at the time, and I didn't know this was even why everybody liked the story. But upon analyzing it over the past 10 years that I've been telling the story, I realized that um, it is this sort of classic fish out of water story where you take, you know, me, a scared, fully clothed, nerdy kid, and you drop the kid into a bunch of naked hippies and let the hilarity ensue. Do you see yourself um, as a musician who now does broadcasting or a broadcaster who used to be a musician? Probably a broadcaster who used to be a musician. I mean, I, I was never really that much of a musician. I was more of like a... Um, like a game show host. <laughs> like, I love to sing and I love to entertain. Basically, my thing is like, as long as people are clapping, I'm happy. Like, I like being in front of audiences. And so being the lead singer of a rock band, you know, really, I wish I got into acting. Um, but I, I'll never, I had an amazing, amazing career as the singer of a rock band. And even though we never really, you know, made it that big or whatever, we'd still tour the world and everything. But I wasn't really a musician per se. Like we had an amazing couple of guitarists and a great bassist and a great drummer. They were the musicians. I was just kind of the lead barker, <laughs> you know, the, the ringmaster. I quote unquote sang the songs, but then we'd go into the studio and it would be just like me and a microphone and, and they'd isolate my voice and I'd realize, oh my God, I'm such a bad singer. But it was still fun. And, um, but definitely, I'm, I, I put it this way, I think I'm a much better broadcaster and writer than I am a musician, even though I loved doing The Smugglers and I loved getting the band back together for three or four years there and playing six or seven shows a couple of years back. That was awesome. It was so much fun. But definitely, I'm not, like some of those guys in The Smugglers, Dave, our guitarist, he's still full-time. Like he, he tours the world with Destroyer. He's a guitarist in Destroyer. And then Nick Thomas, my best friend, the other guitarist in The Smugglers, he's in The Evaporators with Nardwar. He's in the vicious cycles, he's in the transmitters, and he continues to tour all over the place. So they're the musicians, not me. You're more the you're more the family man and the storyteller. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. I mean, Nick is a big time family man too. He's got like seven children or something. But um I guess I'm a family man now. I've never actually heard anyone put it in in that exact phrasing. How did you get started um, as a writer? I know you've written like something like three books right. now. Well, I've always written. You know, my dad was real straight-laced and really um, tough on me as a kid and hated that I was in a band. But um, he, I guess my family and my aunt's, and uncles and my parents recognized that I could write from a really early age and um, they encouraged it and so my dad when I started the smugglers he said look if you're gonna flush your life down the toilet of rock and roll ouch yeah at least 
promise me that you'll write the misery down. So I did. I, I kept tour diaries. And um, those tour diaries were quite incredible. It's the, this is a really great lesson. And again, you know, I only learned these and realized these like way later. You never kind of realize it in the moment. But um, much, much later, I realized that I was, A, those tour diaries helped me get a job at the CBC because those were the stories I was telling on the radio. Yeah. Uh, and B, years later, I realized that, that keeping tour diaries sort of taught me to be a disciplined writer because I'd write about every single gig. And then I also realized years later that I was sitting on like, you know, years upon years upon years of tour diaries, yeah. which I eventually put together in my uh, least successful book, but my favorite, uh, Dirty Windshields, The Best and Worst of the Smuggler's Tour Diaries. Why would you say that's like the least successful? Well, I think it's a great book and I love it because it's the book I needed to write and it was going to be my first book because it was all these tour diaries were written, but it sold the least. Uh, my books in popularity of sales, Adventures in Solitude, my first book is by far my most popular. It still sells. It's been out for 10 years and it still sells year after year. And my second most popular is number two, The Lonely on the Rink, which is sort of my love-hate relationship with hockey. And then the third most popular is Dirty Windshields. So it's been going down ever since the first one. And that's why my publisher wants a sequel to Adventures in Solitude, but I've been really busy and I haven't got around to it yet. Interesting. I, I mean, I would, have thought, I would have thought that, you know, uh, Dirty Windshields would have been the most popular because that's that's in my opinion that's like bearing your experiences you're like being honest and that's really what you want to be as a writer that's what i thought too but you know um one of the keys to writing and this is something that again i discovered later uh was when a piece of work that you write is really uh, popular it's when people can relate to it and so a lot of people could relate to my first book where the, you know, some of the themes are basically like being a kid and being dragged somewhere with your parents. And in my case, I was dragged to Desolation Sound. And it turns out that a lot of people could relate to that no matter where their parents were dragging them in the summer. And whereas I guess with... Uh, with Dirty Windshields, and I don't really care about this because it's the book I wanted to put out and that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, it's a book about a touring musician. And, you know, there's not as many people that can relate to that. And there's some people that get turned off by how dirty and filthy the lifestyle is. And so, you know, I've heard from a few people that didn't finish Dirty Windshields because they thought it was too gross or whatever and I mean it is five guys in five stinky guys in a van and that's and I realize that that is not going to appeal to everyone especially you know maybe six ladies in a book club you know <laughs> what I mean well you know if it's any consolation, I love the book oh thank you so much well, that that is a consolation I I, I like I loved it. You know, Thank you. it was the one it was the one thing that, you know, 
got me, you know, got me introduced to the smugglers, oh. and I, um, I really, you know, I really appreciated that book. It helped, like, you know, shape the way that I write, so. Great. Well, that's really, that's wonderful to hear. I'm glad it had some positive impact because my publisher's pissed off about it. Switching gears, uh, sure. what's your, uh, what's your greatest, what's your greatest accomplishment in broadcasting? Oh, man, this is a really, you've got some great questions. Um, greatest accomplishment when it comes to broadcasting. You see this watch that I wear here? Um, it's this cheap to describe it, it's this cheap sort of swatch knockoff, and um, it has all ten Canadian provincial flags on it, and it has all three territorial flags. So I suppose my proudest achievement in broadcasting for the CBC is that I have broadcasted in all, like been on the ground, and done some sort of special broadcast or something, interviews, whatever the case, in all 10 provinces and all three territories. So my career's taken me to every part of this country, and I would say that's, and, and I don't travel anymore. Uh, I've wrapped that part of my career up. I, I don't leave Vancouver anymore for the CBC. I used to travel constantly, but it's worked out because, as you say, now I'm a family man and I got to do it all and see it all. So that'd be my proudest achievement, broadcasting in all 10 provinces and all three territories. That's, impre- that's impressive. I, yeah. yeah, I mean. It took a while wow. to, to, to pile that up. And, wow. and the white whale, the, the, the one that I hadn't done yet, was Nunavut. And I finally made it there. Uh, to a winter festival where I got to uh, host this winter festival that Joel Plaskett played at in Iqaluit. And that was the final one. And I pretty much retired from CBC travel after that. Yeah, I suppose the one, one of your last trips was with the CBC Beetle. Yeah, right? I, did, I did two of those. Those were, two, those were the two last really big ones. And they were really great, too. They were really, really fun. Uh, because they were road trips, and we all know that road trips can be a lot of fun. And so those were two car trips. They were sponsored content, so it was kind of a new thing for the CBC. Volkswagen gave us a bunch of money to drive Volkswagen cars across the country. And the first one was successful, and that one was from Vancouver to Toronto. And then because the first one was successful, a year later they did it again, from St. John's, Newfoundland to Victoria. So both were really, uh, really exciting and really fun. And I did it with really great people. What's um, uh, those experiences taught you about Canada and like broadcasting and sort of like influenced, has it influenced you in any way? Yeah, I mean, I think that when you get to drive across the country, it's always gonna have an influence on you, fairly profound. You get to see just how big the country is. and uh, But that the cool thing about Canada is that it is so massive. Oh, something like 6,000 kilometers wide or something like that. And uh, maybe 6,500 6, kilometers wide. But that 
because we're united in this country, you feel just as at home with Newfoundlanders as you do with people from Vancouver Island. You know, you feel like you are part of, you, you, you do feel united as Canadians. And that, that's a really, really special feeling. And I think that's, that's what it took. That was my takeaway from it as I just felt. Now, sometimes you feel less of that. When I went up to Nunavut, it felt like, geez, these people, they're like, they're on their own. Like, there's obviously lots of government services up there, but oftentimes not enough. And, and there is a disconnect between the north and the rest of Canada. But at the same time, when you dig down, you can make those connections. But, you know, some of the people in, in Nunavut, like on Baffin Island, they feel more kinship with, like, Greenland than they do British Columbia. So that, that, was, that was really interesting to discover. Would you say that uh, people in the north are like more like isolated in regards to like accessing content? No, I mean, I think yes. Yes, they are just absolutely because of their isolation. But, you know, the, the Internet has broken things open pretty wide. But you still get communities up there that won't have cell service or won't have consistent internet service, won't have Wi-Fi. So it is still a challenge and it is still very isolating uh, and, and that was surprising to see. But, but in you know, a larger center like Iqaluit or Yellowknife or whatever, they have everything. What's some advice that you'd give to someone just starting out in podcasting or that wants to get into broadcasting? I guess my advice would be seek out the good stories and seek out what interests you and to try to fill a niche. You know, when I write a book uh, or when I start a podcast, I basically try to think of like, what is not, what do I not hear that I want to hear? And then I try to fill the niche. Like for my first book, I wrote a book that I wanted to read, you know, that was that I felt was exciting and had elements of uh, my favorite film genre is the Western. So I wanted to put elements of the Western, you know, basically like gunfights and stuff like that into my first book. And there were gunfights up there in the pioneer days. And so anytime I found one, I, I put it in the book. And so I created a book that I didn't feel existed and and you the same thing with podcasts I do these sort of as a spin-off of my first book I do these kind of basically west coast adventure podcasts true stories of pioneer tales and you know hippie stories and stuff like that just just outsider weirdo true stories of people that have made their way in the wilderness and on the coast and I do that because I don't hear anybody else doing it and so that's the advice I would give is decide on what you really like, decide on what you're passionate about and do it and try to fill the gap of what you're not hearing that you want to hear. One last question. What's your uh, creative uh, process like? Well, my creative process, I, you know, I'll give you a little bit of, of, of advice. I often 
tap into other people and their success and and what they do to be successful people. And I remember Mike Myers, you know, uh, Wayne's World and um, who's the other guy who played? Austin Powers, <laughs> Shrek, pretty successful career. Uh, he has this thing where he creates, he just, he creates one thing a day. Now it could be a podcast, it could be a sheet, you know, it could be one page of a book, it could be a song, it could be a poem, could be anything, could be a little bit of a script. Just create one thing a day, uh, cr- uh, let your creative juices flow into one thing a day. And if you do that with one thing a day, it sounds a little bit cliche, but it will amount to something. It's kind of like the tour diaries. We did a lot of touring and I could have just sat in the back of the van, you know, drunk, stoned, asleep, whatever. But I pushed myself to chronicle the tours for better or for worse. And at the end of the day, years later, I was sitting on, you know, years upon years upon years of tour diaries, which turned into a book. So just try to create one thing a day, something, anything artistic, one thing. Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time to, you know, talk to me. And um, uh, I really, I really appreciate, you know, content that you're creating it's really shaped me you know as a writer and i really appreciate that well that's an honor that you would say that and i thank you for the interview and i thought it was a very very good interview thank you grant okay here's spencer i hope you enjoyed my interview with grant lawrence to find out more information about Grant and his work, go to grantlawrence.ca. If you like what you heard, you can find more episodes of The Temple Report by visiting my website, djspencer.ca, or by searching... The Tempo Report on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. I look forward to sitting down with you for another episode of The Tempo Report. Till next time, I'm Spencer and have a great day.